Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right, gang. It's that time of the week, your favorite Tuesday you've had all week, and it is time for the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, and I am stoked to have you joining me in studio today. I'm back again. It's Matt Dixon. You still here? Love it, love it. Uh, gang, today we're going to break down some things that I think are super relevant in the financial world, but we don't necessarily think of it this way, and that's why it's important to have the discussion uh, because I want you to think this through a little bit, and that is, when do expectations not match reality, right? There's a, kind of an expression in our office, right? It says that uh, the customer isn't always right, but they need to always be happy. And how do you do that? Well, for one, you manage the expectation. You know, I have a funny story about calling in to get help uh, on a brand X store, not local, by the way, but I was calling out of area for help. I won't say who it is, but it rhymes with home bleepo. And uh, <laughs> they, you know, the person that I was speaking with was just really committed to not having me become a customer. Really? All the reasons that I shouldn't do this. And it just left me with this real cognitive dissonance. Like, I just called to become a customer and was told all the reasons I shouldn't be a customer. That's an interesting take on customer service. It, well, it worked. I mean, if it was like, go away, customer, I nailed it. Yeah? What were you calling about, was it? I need, uh, so have a property out of area and needed to get blinds measured and installed. Ah. And I was just calling around because there's a lot of back order. And okay. so was, well, yeah. they oftentimes have things in stock. So sure. it's just, hey, you know, can something like this happen? And well, you know, I blah, 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 blah. this was silly. Huh. It was a failed expectation, right? Expectations not managed well means that people struggle with it. And I think that that has got a lot of parallel to real life right now. Okay, give me an example. How many people have asked if this market's going to crash? Oh my gosh, I hear it all the time. Know, Everyone's right? saying it. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. Right. And here's the thing. Why? Because I think it comes down to they just don't like the administration and... Well, thing around here, that's really common. I mean, yeah, for right? sure. Although it, it seems well, to me that this administration's coming under fire from lots of angles, including oh, yeah. folks that have historically been pretty uh, in their camp. And it's say, look, guys, you're making it harder here. Maybe we should. Never mind. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, there's some of that. But I heard everything from just we're due. To well, yep. clearly there's runaway inflation. Therefore, the market That's has the to collapse. That's the second one that I've heard probably the most is the right? inflationary. And piece. I and I again I ask why. Right? Why must it crash? Right. Okay. And and this is an important question because we oftentimes get to where our emotions are wagging the dog instead of our brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not fair because our brain actually you know makes the emotions too. But let's just say that. Our emotions, like our heart is overriding our brain. That's better for the, the like the illustration, right? I mean, we feel this way, but can you think it through to a logical conclusion where that happens? Well, a lot of people only think two ways. The market's going up or the market's going down. I think there's some of that, yes. And we kind of forget, what if it's not really going up or down? What if it's kind of moving to the side? That, yes, right? What if? Yeah. Right? But what if... The market, I mean, my suspicion is at some point the market's going to fall. But what makes the market fall? 
Don't that, overcomplicate that, this, right? That's a lot. I mean, yeah. Well, it but, can but be a lot of the, different at things. At the most simple, right? You have a material change in supply or demand. Yeah. And since rarely is it, oh, the supply of stocks all disappeared, it means that the demand to purchase them changed. Market sentiment. Well, it could be market sentiment. It could be forced. Like in 2008, when everything started to really collapse, it was because the banking system started to collapse and then loans started getting called. And so all of the liquidity, the available cash that was mm-hmm. otherwise going into the markets wasn't available anymore. So that effectively changes the amount of demand, right? I have fewer yeah. dollars available. I got to put my dollars elsewhere so it won't be in stocks. Mm-hmm. So that demand dries up. The, the, the bid side of the stock market, that's remember bid is the people wanting to get it. Ask is the people saying, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm asking this much for my stock. Okay, well, I'm willing to bid this much to buy it. Nobody bids, and you want to sell, price falls, right? Do right now, that the computerized trading has also kind of changed the way that the markets move. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been changing it for, you know, the better part of 20 years or more. Right. Probably more than that, honestly. I mean, the computerized trading is has changed and continues to change the marketplace. But the fundamental driver is still supplier demand, whether the demand is from a computer or the demand is from a person. Right. So if nobody wants to buy the stock, the price, this works in the housing market, right? If you want to buy a house right now, you know what you have to do? Bid up the asking yeah, price. Yeah, fast. You have yeah. to hurry. Get <laughs> out there. Offer it. more money than they're asking for it. It's crazy, but the demand is so high. And part of the reason the demand is so high is because mortgage rates are? Super low. Super low. Historically low. And if you have super low rates- You can afford more house. High, well, and, and remember, we have done other things. Like, we've made it hard to build houses. Right. Yeah. Oregon has a lot of land use laws and has a lot of permitting involved and a lot of costs associated with building. And then on top of that, because of supply disruption, there's less supply of certain things. So it's more expensive to compete to buy the things it takes to build the house. It's true. All of those things add to the price. So you have supply restrictions, massive demand and cheap money so people can bid the price up. And you know what we call that? Inflationary, yes. Right. I mean, that's literally what it is. Is this okay? Well, there's that that the assets are increasing in price rapidly because of the conditions in the marketplace. So, what conditions need to change in order to get the stock market to crash? What's going to take demand out of the market? And there are things out there, right? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of things. One is inflation could mean, hey. Things got so expensive, I don't have disposable income to go into the stock market. I have to use all of my income just to support life. That's a good point. Right? That could really happen. Yeah. That that tends to hit the fringe of the market first, less of the institutional money. But, you know, something else is interest rates could go up. Now, why would interest rates go up? There's, the- a, there's a natural process right let's let's th- let's think about this matt yeah um if you're a lender of money and inflation is happening mm-hmm. around you what do you want to do as a lender you've got to make a higher return so you're going to have to up your rates you're going to have to up your rates why because people keep borrowing at such a low rate you have to have a return at some point well it's protection right I mean, yeah. if you don't know what rates are going to be in the future, but it looks like they'll be higher, 
you need to price protection in for you. Yeah. You can't loan money out and then turn around and be like, well, I'm trapped in this terrible loan now. Yeah, because not everyone's going to pay. People are going to default. And not just that. Let's, I mean, let's say that I have fantastic credit and I ask if I can borrow. We're going to pick a number. I want to borrow $100,000 from you. Mm-hmm. So first, woohoo, you can loan me hundred grand. But uh, second is if I ask for you to loan me that money for a period of 10 years, what is it going to take for you to part with hundred grand and accept interest payments for 10 years from me? It's going to have to outpace inflation naturally. Well, it's going to have to outpace inflation, and it should have to outpace other opportunities that you could use that money right. for. So it needs to be a good, a, a, like an attractive investment for you. That means you have to mm-hmm. assess not only my risk as a borrower, can I pay you back, but also what's your opportunity cost Yeah, over 10 years. And it's probably relatively high. So I would not think that you were going to, you know, you want to give me a loan for 2%? Probably not. I mean, if inflation's at 2%. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, especially if inflation's going to run at 6 or 7%. Which doesn't seem too unfeasible. Right. And so the market hasn't figured out if it's really going to do that or not. Right. It doesn't. Kind of like a game of checkers, isn't it? Or chess. Uh, there, there are some elements to that, right? And yeah. And one slider moves, and the, the question is, does this continue or not, right? Is it persistent inflation, or is this something that was a hiccup in the system because of COVID? It'll be, I think only time can tell. Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, we will know with the rearview mirror of history. For sure. But if we were to take some speculative you know, look at this, uh, you know, I would argue that we are seeing inflation and it's becoming permanent. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, wages are going up. I mean, are the price of cars really going to go down anytime soon? Well, if you can't build enough cars and people want them, then price goes even higher. Exactly. So if we have an inflationary environment, that could be a headwind for the markets. Mm -hmm. Right. But on the flip side of it, what happens if in but an inflationary market, companies are able to make more money? I was going to say, markets typically beat inflation. so They typically do. They so, adjust. They're not... Yeah. So they can... Usually, you can see some volatility, but historically, markets have been a very... The stock market in particular has been a very good mechanism for outpacing inflation. Bond markets, less of a guarantee, right? But bond markets are not stock markets. Okay? It's true. Fixed income is different different considerations so to me when we look at this market and we think about expectations versus reality we want to understand some of the things that are played now there's there's a bunch more stuff going on in this market that i think is relevant to decide should it crash or not right yeah uh for example we've got uh uh, apparently, some stuff going on in Washington D.C. You but heard about this? I think aren't we getting close to a profit break? We can take an obscene profit break. Yeah, I think this is a good spot to leave our listeners kind of on that edge. What is happening in D.C.? So we're going to talk about expectations versus reality, and we'll talk about how Washington D.C. has met no one's expectations. But we got to take this break first. Stick around; we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you got True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty. KQEN.
Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. So, if you were just joining us, oh man, the fun you have missed. Uh, Matt and I have been chatting it up and it is all available on podcast. Do you know how to find it yet? Yeah, go to the Little John FS website. Okay, and there's... Do it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> do right, right. it. So, at the Little John FS website, go under the What We're About tab, and you're going to find three columns, or three three tags, right? Educate, plan, invest. Right, and it's under the Educate tab. Okay. okay. And and this is one of those, my personal hang-up, uh, and this has to do with my take on the industry, right? I am not crazy about sales in financial services. I realize that, that there's nothing like wrong with sales, right? It's perfectly noble when done properly and ethically. But my training came out of sales only instead of becoming a practitioner. So I sort of shunned a lot of that. And my response to it is education. If you can teach people how to understand this stuff, they can sort of naturally arrive at what is in their best interest if you can educate them on the pros and the cons. Right. And then it's less of a sale than just a, oh, well, clearly this is the next step. Yeah. Right. So that's that's always been sort of my take on this one. Now, this all plays back into today's theme, right? Okay. Expectations versus reality. Okay. At the break, we're talking about the markets and specifically people keep asking, is this thing gonna crash? Now, Matt, is this market gonna crash? Um, eventually, but when is the question? Yeah, and or I don't know. It always does, right? I mean, it like, always dips. It it, ha- it historically returns. it has, right? Yeah. It historically it has, and historically it's recovered too. So yeah. we could say it it's always done that until someday if it doesn't, but right? I continue to tell people. I think we got a much bigger problem if the markets collapse. And, and by collapse, you mean like collapse and don't return? Well, let's. That's the next step. Like if the markets collapse. And they're like gone. What good is your money anyway? Like, yeah. What, is, what does your stock matter or your bonds matter if the entire financial system fails? And yeah, so, we, you got bigger problems. Yeah, it's really that's if, not the main concern. I think the concern that some people have, and I'm, I'm seeing folks that are they're getting pretty worked up. Right, we're in an interesting time in history where the emotions are running hot. It's the hottest I've ever seen it. It's the hottest I've ever seen it. And not hot like um, everybody is being mean directly to each other's face, although that probably is happening. They're, but People are wigging out. They're making yes. crazy decisions, I mean, rash decisions. People talking about, I'm moving, or I'm going to expatriate, or you know things like that. And I think, how have we arrived at a point where our emotions are so agitated that people can't see the data. I think it's just a, a collection of a lot of things. Well, I do too. I think that we think just have added stressor after stressor and mm-hmm. unfortunately, people are starting to snap under yeah. the pressure. It's it's the cycle. Even if you're listening to this program right now, if you find yourself listening and either trying to say, "Yeah, that's what I said all along," or "No way, man. <laughs> Don't like, do that." <laughs> like careful because yeah. your if your emotions are singing that song, it's like, "Let's hang on here." We're really going to try to work with data. Yeah, I, look, our opinions are in this thing. That's sure. happening, right? But so, you can't avoid that. Yeah, there's always some editorial. We always have a personal bias. Yeah, that's happening. But the trick is, can we sort of minimize it or contextualize it so that you can make that's a, good way to a say call? It. 
right? Yeah. So, so that's what we're going to try to do is, is keep everything in context. Or look at the numbers. Or look at the numbers. So let's talk about something. Now, if, if everybody's, uh, not everybody, uh, there's a bunch of you out there, and I admire you, and keep beating this drum, by the way, which is the markets are going to go up, the markets are going to go down, right? And I generally don't watch it that closely because, one, I can't control it, and two, because of what we've just sort of described is the long-term outcome will likely be positive. If it is not, it likely doesn't matter. Right, because yeah. it means the financial system's got much bigger problems. If the largest companies on the planet all fail simultaneously, uh oh, mm-hmm. right? Like no bueno. <laughs> so, so it's true. I'm, I, I'm less concerned about that. But people watch, so let's discuss what is going on with this market. Now, at the break, you said something about Washington D.C. Th- we cannot avoid it. Okay, so because you know what Washington D.C. represents, and when I describe this, this is not a grab your pitchforks and torches kind of moment. Okay, but it represents a systemic destabilizer or a systemic threat, if you will. Threat's a more hostile word. Okay, but systemic destabilizer is that it creates systemic risk. For it, for everything, right? If, sure. If, if Washington changes the way taxes happen, mm-hmm. it affects everything, and it can and sure send a lot of things into a tailspin it really can. quick. And and if it's not really Washington, but at the same time, it it's sort of connected to Washington. If the Federal Reserve, that's integrated with our monetary system, if they change policy. That is going to have systemic effects. Do you want to talk about what the Federal Reserve really is for our it, listeners? It's, it's a network of banks. Okay, the Federal yeah. Reserve is a network of banks that's not owned by the government. See, and okay. I think that's what the listeners need to hear. That's the part that's really interesting: is the Federal Reserve banking system is a private banking system, not governmental. That's the wacky part. And about I feel it. like a lot of people miss that point that the banks are really controlling a lot of what's going on. The banks have massive massive control. Now, the government can legislate behavior of banks mm-hmm. and does. Okay, they, they put parameters around banks, and this all kind of goes back to Great Depression era stuff and having to stabilize the banking system. But give us an example. Like if the Federal Reserve Board or the federal um, banking system, if they want to change something radically, what could they do? Give the listeners an example okay, of what they so, could do. So first of all, the the Reserve Board, there's several different governors of the banks in the system, right? There's, mm-hmm. se- there's, I don't know, there's like nine or 12 banks or something like that. I think it's 12. Around the country. Yeah. I think there's 12 banks and there's, I think I they read all that have the governors, but I think only nine governors are in the Federal okay. Open Market Committee. I This is stuff that, you know, this is what Investopedia is for, right? You can actually look up the exact figures on this sure. one. And I don't, I don't go in and study the composition of the board at the Federal Reserve. Okay? Who would? Like, how There's many no hours point. in a day do we have yeah. if you're trying to help people with personal finance? But the way this thing works, so that you elect the board of governors, they all get together, and one of the things that they could do, here's your example, Matt. Yeah. They could change the reserve requirements of the banking system. Exactly. So the reserve requirement is how much money a bank must retain on its balance sheet relative to the amount of money that's loaning out to people. Okay. Because okay? they don't, if you give a bank a dollar, they don't loan that dollar out 
they loan part of that dollar out. Okay? Mm -hmm. The part that they don't loan out is the reserve. And that's because the idea is if 10 people are bank customers, not all 10 of them are going to come back and ask for their money at the same time. So they look at the statistically say, well, maybe one in 10 people is going to need their money at any given time. So we better have more than one-tenth in reserve sure. so that we can cover those those calls on the assets. Somebody shows up and says, give me some money. I had to take it out of my account. Then you have it around. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the reserve requirement. If they change the reserve requirement, that ripples through the entire system. Every bank has to adjust their lending ratios, which changes the number of loans that can be made in the system, which changes the supply and demand curve Boom. significantly. There it is. Okay. So it totally matters. Yeah. How does it all tie into Washington, D.C. right now? What is the elephant in the room that's being talked about in Washington, D.C., and it's just getting kicked around right now? Well, we have the big uh, infrastructure deal okay. that's on so what on the docket what do you what do you know about the infrastructure deal generically like i'm not i won't quiz you on the specifics and this is not a make let's this is not do a, you want a dollar amount heels. because i think it was around three trillion three and a half three and a half trillion dollars okay. they want to invest it in infrastructure rebuilding roads all of this stuff yeah oh yeah but it's way more than that as a lot of our astute listeners know right there's something called what they're calling human infrastructure okay do you yeah, want you know to elaborate what on what that Social entails? programs, mm -hmm. right? Things that aren't infrastructure at all, but if you call them human infrastructure, then you can rationalize it being there. Right. We have another term for it politically, pork, right? Pork. Pork, yeah. Like, so just, let's just include extra- Is this an acronym or is no, this No, no, like... it's a real thing. Okay. I mean, lots of the time, historically, bills have things inserted into them because it's like favors that politicians give to each other to get them to vote for something. So uh, maybe Oregon needs bridge funding, mm -hmm. and so our representatives are out there. If it's in the House, then, you know, for like Roseburg, I think it's DeFazio is still the representative, right? So maybe what he does is he gets federal dollars appropriated in a bill to come back and be used on, a, on bridge projects, but it's attached to a bill that has nothing to do with building bridges. So it's scratching each other's backs in a sense. Yeah, but but that's that process is called adding pork to the bill, right? So okay. it's just this this fat that gets mixed in to the bill just to get people to agree to vote for it. And how else do you get 10,000 page bills? Like do you really think that our our representatives read these things? Right. It's like, "Hey, Go read this half a volume of encyclopedias written in legalese because I'm sure you're going to understand all of it and then vote yes or no on <laughs> all of it. Right. Right. It's ridiculous is what it is. And everybody from every side of the aisle knows it's just that people turn the other way if they're getting what they want. For sure. Okay. So what does this whole shenanigan mean? From D.C., if you got a $3.5 trillion plan on on the proposal from the the Democrat side of the aisle, okay? Now, I'm just, I'm not trying to be partisan. This is just saying this is the side of the aisle. Now, the Republicans are also, not to be outdone, have a counterproposal. And when it's, when both parties are trying to agree, they call it bipartisan, like everybody's agreeing. Uh, so that it's a partisan look at the three and a half trillion 
And then there's another counter proposal that's like one point, I think it's either one or 1.2 trillion. What blows my mind is how much money that really is. Right. So they, they've got these two different proposals and then there's a hostage agreement in between, right? Okay. The hostage agreement is the federal debt limit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what that is, is how much money the United States is effectively allowed to borrow to pay its bills. Right. And so since we borrow more than we bring in in tax revenue. Keep digging that hole deeper. They, they keep raising the debt ceiling. And every year or two, this seems to come up where we're going to run out of money unless we raise the debt ceiling. And they just always end up raising it. They do. So here's been the political quagmire as I understand it. Okay. Um, there, I don't know all this, by the way. I'm not a poli-sci expert. Okay, this gets deep in the weeds here. But basically, the the Democrats have enough votes to... They can, can't they just pass they, it they without... Could do, on their own, yeah. they could raise the debt ceiling and move on. But, but they don't want to do that. Well, it changes the dynamic of then passing their infrastructure spending mm-hmm. bill. So they could then have the votes to pass this $3.5 trillion bill, and they do it with zero Republican votes. Oh, wow. But that's a sort of a dangerous political statement when you have 100% partisanship if anything goes wrong it's really easy to blame you for sure right so they don't really want to do that so there was a recent extension of the deadline sometime it was like October 8th was the original deadline now it's been kicked out to like December 2nd buying themselves some time to try and strategize well and my guess is they already made a trade on the votes so okay. it's not going to be three and a half trillion. It's going to be something different. We don't know necessarily what it will be, but they probably already made the trade in order to get the vote to extend it to buy some time to package up the trade. Oh, okay. So what does all this mean now? It means we take another obscene profit break. You're killing me, here, David. When we come back, I'm gonna tell we're, you. We're what getting it means. to the juicy part here. I know. You're right? leaving everyone on worst. a cliffhanger. Well, hang out. We'll be right back, and I'll tell you. But we got to take this break first. Okay. Stick around. It's Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. So, Matt, how are they going to get caught up? Well, they need to probably go back and re-listen to this. So they the need to go to thing. the website. Yeah, they need to check out the podcast. Yeah, littlejohnfs.com. All kinds of fun stuff in there, by the way, for uh, uh, probably at least half of you listening. Although statistically... 100% of our listeners could benefit from this. Okay, I'll go with that. If they're eight years old, they can learn how much their piggy bank can save if they just buck up and start putting the money in there, right? It's fun. So statistically, and this is really something, um, but statistically, about 45% of people report having no investments of any kind. About 55% say they have some form of retirement plan or stock ownership. I can vouch for that. Research. I saw it today. He's not lying, folks. This so is true stuff. That means like 45 out of 100 people need to listen to this show more, right? Like that's that, just. That's the, statistics 101 right there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the basics. Now, at the break, what we were trying to explain. Now, today's one of these shows we're talking about managed expectations when your expectations 
and reality don't match. Okay. And that's every day though, right? Well, it really is every day. Like, honey, uh, I want a five course meal and I'm coming home to Costco chicken and mac and cheese. Come on. That sounds delicious. It does actually. Uh, <laughs> Especially their pumpkin pie. I don't know if you know this, David, but I'm a sucker for Costco's five dollar pumpkin pies. Like I'll eat one in two days by myself. It's disgusting. It's uh you can get away with that now. I know. I I could try that. I mean, like I could eat that. But then I would wear it. <laughs> so, yeah, I am trying to learn better health habits because I run am, it off, David. I'm run it off. Capable of eating terrible. Yes. So, but we are way off the beaten path now. Okay. okay. The idea here is expectation and reality oftentimes don't match up for people. Uh, this year has been a real conundrum, hasn't it? And the markets have been way up. I mean, I think the S&P is still up close to 15 16% year it's, to date. It's really crushing it, and the volatility has been really low. So yeah, I it's mean, just the last like, couple of weeks it spiked some, but it's coming back down remarkably enough. Yeah. Uh, now, volatility is an interesting measure, of course, but yeah, we, can, we can get some indication of volatility by how the options market is pricing things, and so mm-hmm. we, we will measure that. We use an index called the Volatility Index, or the VIX, and it's been declining again, right? Mm-hmm. So volatility's coming out of the marketplace. Some of it is, I think, because of Washington, D.C. kicking the can down the road or looking like they kicked the can down the road, right? Yeah. Because at the break, we talked about the the big package, right? That <laughs> I shouldn't phrase that way at all. <laughs> uh, we talked about the the big spending package. Okay. The Democrat Party has proposed a three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure spend. It's a stimulus uh, spending program, so economic stimulus program. And the Republicans have been fighting this, right? And now they've set up sort of a partisan standoff between Democrats and Republicans, and they're using another element, the debt limit, as part of the bargaining chip. And it appears, I literally got this during the break, uh, a, a notice that the House, so it passed the Senate, the House has now raised the debt ceiling, and I believe it's been pushed out until sometime in early December, where this debate will have to happen again. So they really are kicking that can down the They're road. They're absolutely kicking it down the road, and they always, when I say always, this has been historically what has occurred. We We've have never problems. not raised the debt ceiling. <laughs> Right. We've never not raised it. Yeah. So I'm not sure why we play this game other than it is a tool of political leverage and appearances. It's a chess game. Right. It's it's optics. OK. And this is part of the the problem. And I hope that I, I, I don't have high hopes that this can happen. But wouldn't it be really wild if folks could kind of get over the tribalism and stop assuming that the team that you have chosen is always right, and the team that you oppose is always wrong. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... a wacky idea that there's some compromise and that maybe somebody is uh, fronting a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. They're, They're putting a little bit out there saying, oh, look, I'm giving you this image, but it's false. It's not really the truth of what's going on. Yeah, Could that ever happen in politics? It's like 80% of the time I feel like they're... I think that you listen to the way people speak and there's no commitments in their language any longer because nobody wants to be caught in the lie. So you get all these pants on fire rules where it's like, well, I never said that. 
a kind of said something non-definitive you know, non, statements. Non, yeah, yeah, non-committal, and you've assumed these things, but I didn't say it. Right? They do that all the time. Lots of inference, but not necessarily a hard-coded. It is this. Yeah. And then if you do make it, it is this comment. It can come back forever. Right. Yeah. Oh, back in 1971, before you were even, uh, you know, capable of discerning anything, it's like you're eight years old and you said this. Like, uh, I was eight. Right. We see that all the time, and uh, we, it's part of the do. new we cancel culture. Time. Like, it's it's a weaponization. Keep in mind, you know, and I'll say it on air: cancel culture is a way to silence the opposition. Yep. Okay, that is what it is. So when it happens. It's it's the effect of saying, we yeah oh sure you have free speech on paper but we will weaponize the system against you so that you don't execute it. That's a good way of saying it, David. I like right? that. We will yeah. scare you into silence because who wants to be canceled? There are a bunch of you out there listening right now, and I'm not that that you wear a mask because it's easier than rocking the boat. Mm-hmm. You don't believe in it. You wear oh, yeah. it because you don't want to rock the boat. Yep. Okay? And I am not judging you for that, by the way. Okay? I'm not. But I don't understand the logical connection. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus either because I've been public on this program saying I got vaccinated. Okay? Yeah. So, I, I mean, everybody has their different take on this one. I believe in your right to choose your own health decisions. Right? That, that's where I live on this thing. Yeah. So I'm that's okay saying That's a good place that. to be. But- I got it. So when I say these things, I'm like, I think it's weird, though, that why, why was I originally told, well, get it so you don't have to wear the mask. And then it was like, psych, like, OK, you're driving me nuts because that was the whole reason. Otherwise, I, you know, what was the incentive again? So it's but the messaging is challenging now. Right. Really, what it is, is can we please make good social health decisions? But I would be way happier with it being voluntary. Yeah. And for the folks that don't want the the vaccine at this point, that's different than folks that can't get it. That's that's a, that's a real small group, and I know that's a hard one. But for the folks that don't want it, I would say, choose your own adventure, but choose your but but get the consequences too. There's no such thing as a consequence free decision, and we we pretend that there is. Yeah, we socially we do it all try to, the time. We, yeah, we try to make it that like, oh, there's there's what's just well, we need people to behave this way, and so I go, okay, well then are you going to apply the consequences if they don't? Well, no. Then it's useless, right? <laughs> it's useless. So I, if you don't want to wear a helmet, I think you're an idiot, but I'm okay with it, right? Because it turns out you're probably cheaper because you don't make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gross, right? I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying well, we, those are the natural consequences to these kinds of things. And so where do we draw the line on consequences? Like You can't only apply the laws to people that have something to lose. Mm-hmm. All right, soapbox over. Back to this expectations of market. Here's why I think this is all this this whole conversation gets back to relevance. It is a messaging issue, and if that whole diatribe there got your blood boiling, good. You know why? Because now I can ask you: Are you thinking with your heart or your brain? Oh wow! I like how you spun that one around. Okay. Is it your heart or your brain? Because if you're mad at me for saying that, why? Which part did I corner you on? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, which side of the, which team was yours, and how did I offend your sensibility on your team? 
right? If you go back and listen, re-listen, go listen to podcasts and listen to what I said. And which team did I choose? You didn't choose any team. Exactly. But someone is inferring that you are choosing a team because that's just what they want to hear. Exactly. And, and that's so, how it relates back to the market. And, and what happens is we set up expectations too. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are our own expectations, like, oh, the market's got to crash. Why? Well, because it confirms the bias that I brought into the data. Yes. Right? I already had an opinion that this would happen, so I need to find the things that support my opinion so that I can be right. Well, what if it's not about being right? What if it's about just trying to be accurate? David, you're bringing so much logic into this show. Be careful. You're going to... Somebody's mind's going to blow. Yeah. So I have one last thought on the three and a half trillion dollars, right? Okay. And I'm going to totally make you wait until after oh, the last David, break. again. We're going to do it, right? Do we really have one more break? We have one more break. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you guys why. Think about it hard. Because when we come back, I'm going to challenge something. Because then you might be, you might find yourself going like, oh, snap. But hey, break first. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. Uh, if you are just tuning in, grab that podcast at littlejohnfs.com. It'll post tomorrow. We're talking expectations versus reality today. And I have held this one out to our listeners for long enough. You know, Washington, D.C. is a player in the way markets work. Whether we mean to or not, it matters because they affect the whole system. And there's a bunch of stuff on the docket that's likely to change if the votes turn out the way they could. Okay, A lot of changes to tax policy. And there is a big potential spending package out there for $3.5 trillion that the the Democrat Party has uh, brought forth. The Republican Party has brought forth also a big spend, I think north of a trillion dollars. So... What does this really mean here? And this is, you know, I told you that story to tell you another one. Okay. And the story is about the art of the deal. Now, for many of you, you hear that. And if you think, uh, if this conjures up uh, former President Trump, it's okay, right? He authored a book called The Art of the Deal. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not making a commentary on Trump good, Trump bad. Okay, you can make that call for yourself. That's not the point. The point was one of the tenets of making a deal in that book was if you want to, or at least I think it was in this book. Golly, I, I should probably read the book if I want to make this claim. Yeah, so just I, roll I'm, with it. I'm going, yeah, at this point, it's probably in, in the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> Here, there I am disclosing. I haven't read the book, but I, I know some of the core principles. If you want to appear reasonable, start is really unreasonable. And then come back into the position that you were hoping for all along. So imagine for a moment that Washington, D.C. doesn't think they can get a three and a half trillion dollar spending package in the first place. This would be like if I was like, David, can I have ten thousand dollars? You'd be like, no. And then if I hit you with, can I have three thousand? You'd probably still be like, no. But if I said, can you give me five bucks? You'd be like, fine, whatever. Exactly. It's really easy. That's what it is. Yeah, whatever. Here's five (laughs) bucks. Uh, But the idea is. 
ask for something outlandish. Right. And then when you move your position to what appears to be more uh, reasonable, it, it, that, that, that if that was the initial ask, it might have felt outlandish. But because something else was just completely out to lunch, by comparison, it doesn't look so crazy. Mm-hmm. So you get people to debate the crazy so that when you rein it in, it seems, seems more like reasonable. an actual deal. Yeah. And that to me is, I think, what's going on politically is there's this gamesmanship where, look, the, the majority of us look at that and just get mad, right? Or, well, if you're on one side of the aisle, you get mad at the other side, you get mad because there's no cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. There's people out there saying, we need this. We need to spend to rebuild our bridges, and we need to do these social programs. We need to do all these things, right? Medicare for all, and uh, everybody should have free childcare, and you know we should be more like these other countries, right? Now, you can believe that, and I, I will, I'll question some of that because I think the numbers don't really work the way you think they work. I'm allowed to do that; it's my show, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, it, fine. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Nevertheless. When you think about that giant package and everything in there, uh, you may feel like it's a compromise. But for people that said, heck no, that is ridiculous. And then you come back with a trillion dollar package. People go like, oh, whew, dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah, but did you really and dodge the bullet? And I find myself going, whoa, whoa, trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's the total U.S. debt right now? I, I think, think it's like 21 trillion. So yeah. we're talking about almost 5% of GDP. Yeah. Of, of, so I think our GDP is around 20. So it's like 5% of GDP. Uh, or our total debt's like twenty seven or twenty six trillion, something clownishly big. I'm like, you. So you're, people you're like, are really getting sold that this is a bargain. Well, but that's the thing. We yeah. have moved the needle so much. I got news for you, people. Like you, me, everybody. You don't fathom a trillion dollars. Yeah. Right. That number is monopoly money. Okay. It's just like oh, a million, billion, zillion. Like, yeah. like it doesn't <laughs> matter, right? <laughs> It's just, it's it's all fictional, but it does matter long term in the system that if we just print money all the time, that at some point people stop trusting that our money is useful. Mm-hmm. And then you have people asking whether or not you should buy Bitcoin. Uh, I was just about to say, you've got all those Bitcoin listeners fired up now, David. Right? Well, they're not wrong, except for one thing. Bitcoin can be regulated out of existence. And what is Bitcoin denominated in, David? Dollars. Huh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. is It's this circular logic of, well, the government controls most of the physical architecture. I mean, Bitcoin may be happening on individual servers and you know collaborated that way. So the mining may happen in individual mining units. But it's still happening on a, a, an infrastructure that's largely managed through governments, and it, they can make it black market. And now they are talking about, you know, the IRS tracking transactions above six hundred dollars. All transactions, every vendor, every bank, like that'll change things, dude. That's pretty crazy. Like the the can idea. Can you imagine of how is, much that would cost to actually track that? Well, they they were saying like hiring a hundred or hundred and ten thousand. IRS. Oh, that's what IRS we need. Agents. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like we can't hire people in the private sector right now, but let's create another hundred and ten thousand yeah. government jobs, and how will we fund them? Well, presumably through uh, checking everybody's transactions for everything. Uh, my sense is it's a way to eliminate the underground economy. That's what they're mm-hmm. really trying to do. It's like we'll 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 kill off everything except for paying the neighbor kid to mow the lawn in cash. 
Yeah. But everything else is going away. So that's an interesting animal right that is, there. That is. That and really is. That's my, almost my, like a topic for a whole other radio show. Well, it's huge. I, I really do hope that that's not how it goes down because the the underground economy saves a lot of people in this country. It's true. There's a lot of people that work on tips and cash and it saves them. I'm not advocating that that's a good thing per se, but I'm saying if you destroy it, we have so much labor that moved overseas for key components of our economy yep. that the service economy can't absorb everything there. That would and be a huge hit. It's just an economic misstep or an economic misunderstanding to think if you capture all of these things that it will accrue Somehow immediate fix benefit. Something, it yeah. will create pain first. So anyway, but that's the story of D.C. all the time, right? It's like decisions are made in a vacuum. We often think, oh, we get the best and brightest and put them in D.C. to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And I go Best like, and the brightest. I don't know. I mean, I think we get the people that will do the job. Uh-huh. And I ask, you know, good people all the time, would you do that job? Heck no. Right. I'm not going to put my family in that, you know, the crosshairs of the media and all those, you know, people on social media lurking, looking for gotchas at every turn. That's just miserable. Glad yeah. I'm not that person. It just takes a unique personality to want that spotlight mm -hmm. and be willing to get pounded. So yeah. I don't think that is uh I don't think I could pull that one off well. You could. I don't I wouldn't put You'd my You'd be good at it. it, but yeah. Who wants the job? That's the it's thing. It's tough. If you that's want the, the job, Who you probably it? shouldn't have the job, right? <laughs> I, I think that's a good It's that's tough. A good well, note. look, we're out of time for today. If there is stuff that you need help with financially, Matt, tell me you have the number. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at it. 541-375-0898. Yep. Oh, my gosh. He's oh, got it. And I didn't All even right. cheat this time. Right. No phone Until out. Until next time, 541-375-0898. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We'll see you later. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brooks Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.